So we're going to continue. I think there's only about four or five sermons left in this sermon on incarnating Christ. So grab what you can because we're going to move on to the next topic very soon. So incarnating Christ, it's all about being more and more like Jesus every single day. And the only way we can do that is through the spiritual power that he gives us through his Holy Spirit who lives within us. So this is impossible without him and entirely possible with him. So we continue on with spiritual power. I went for a walk. Cheryl's been walking. I've been walking. And as I walk, I I said to God, so it was probably three or four weeks ago, I said, so I have this sermon coming up. Lord, what is your message for your people, your body, your church? What is it that you want to say? And he gave me a word. In fact, he gave me four words for you. He said, the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. That was it. So that left me scurrying away, searching his word, seeking him out, wanting him to know exactly what does that mean for us today. In the situation that each one of you are in in your lives, what exactly do you want people to know? What do you want them to feel? What do you want them to think? And he made it very clear that the reason we're looking at spiritual power is to remind us that we really can't do anything without him. That it's through the power of his spirit in us that allows us to overcome every obstacle, every problem that you face in day-to-day life. And that all started when he spoke to us through Jeremiah. And Jeremiah said that God wants to give us a new heart, a brand new heart. So something very special happened when each one of us said, yes, Lord, yes, be my Lord and Saviour. Something very special happened inside of us. We gained a new heart. And God also told us through Jeremiah that this beautiful new heart... This will be from the least to the greatest. It is for all people. It is a universal call. So whether you feel very small in your own estimation, maybe you feel very big in your own estimation, God is saying, I am giving you a new heart because I am including everybody. So today and every day, don't ever, ever, ever believe the gnawing little chatter from the devil who says you're not good enough. You're the least. Because God says, from the least to the greatest, you will know me. And that's a beautiful promise. So today, the topic we have is boldness. And then we want to look at how that's different to fearfulness. So when I think about someone being bold, I think they're adventurous. I think they're loud. I think they're totally fearless. I think that they're brash, impulsive, and reckless. They go for it. They're bold. But I quickly had a problem. You see, I'm not like that. I don't feel bold. I don't think I'm bold. I don't do very many reckless, adventurous, outlandish, loud things. So for me, in my own estimation, I'm the least bold and possibly the least bold in this room. So I hold on to that promise of God's and I say no matter what, from the least to the greatest and perhaps I'm the least, 
you said you'd give me a new heart. And he has. And he said, you will know me, even if you're the least. So that gives me some comfort. But not enough to want to stand here in front of all of you and talk to you about boldness. So I think I have a problem. I have to talk about boldness. And I don't feel bold, and I don't think bold, and I don't do bold. So I start to feel a bit scared. And then some options pop into my head. One lot of options belong in the category of flight. How can I run away from this idea of doing a sermon on boldness? So I think to myself, hmm, well, I could sneak onto the sermon schedule. Cheryl would like to do one on boldness. She's bold. I'll just sneak her name in on there run away and then say, oh, I don't have to do it. There's another flight option here. I could ring Mark. Oh, <coughs> I just I've got a sore throat. It's not good. My feet are hurting. I don't think I can do it. That ran through my head. But you know the problem with all those options to run away is that God gave me a new heart. And in this new heart that he gave me, he said, you will know me, which means I will know his thoughts and his feelings about these runaway pathetic options that are running through my mind. And you know what my conscience is doing? It's uncomfortable. I don't think I can do it. I can't ring Mark. He'll know. I can't put Cheryl on there. She'll know. I'm not going to get away with it. But more than that, it's this thing I have to deal with. So then I jump to another set of options. If they don't work, I'm going to fight my way through this. So my flesh says, if I can't get comfortable and run away, my flesh says, I'll take control of the situation so I can do it my way. So I'll fight. So I think the person I should blame is him. You see, he's in charge of what we talk about here and I think that maybe I can take control of this situation and fight with him. Boldness, as if boldness is really important, as if boldness is important. A whole sermon on boldness? I don't think so. And let me tell you, let me wrangle with words with you. Let me tell you, buddy, Jesus didn't even use the word bold. Did you know that? Check your Bible. Look at the red bits. No bold. Jesus didn't say bold. Why do I have to do bold? You know what? You're not that smart after all. In fact, I think I am. In my own estimation, I might not be bold, but geez, I'm smart. I know something about boldness that you don't know. We don't need this. Do you know what he's doing now, which is really annoying me? Do you remember he did that sermon on meekness? He's doing it. He's doing that meek thing. It's annoying. It's making me even angrier. Makes me want to fight him even more. He's enduring injury patiently. Can you see this? You know, this man does endure injury patiently. He gets this. He gets people who don't want to do what God does. So they either run away from him or blame him. It's not easy being a pastor in a church. But they're tempting. Aren't they tempting? My flesh loves being comfortable and running away. Boy, that felt good to go for him, to blame it on him so I can just chuck all my responsibility onto him. (laughs) Only one problem. While it felt good, you know what? A teensy little bit of my flesh really did enjoy that. (laughs) The problem, it's a problem. (laughs) The problem with seriously doing that is this conscience. Jesus says, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts, Liz. 
much, much higher than your thoughts. And uh, Jesus is letting me know he's uncomfortable with this idea. He's saying, I don't like this idea, even though my flesh loves it. So now I'm kind of stuck. Tried the flight, tried the fight, can't deal with this either way. But you know what? Our flesh doesn't give up so easy. My flesh certainly doesn't give up that easy. I'll fake it. I'll just pretend that I'm bold. No one will ever know. That's when he really goes into overdrive. Because, you know, I think we do a lot of damage pretending to be what we're not. So now I'm confused. And the author of confusion loves it. Satan loves us to be confused. Maybe I could feel hopeless and depressed. There's no option here. There's no solution here. So... I'll just get really sad or maybe I'll get anxious. I'll just keep worrying and I'll go over and over and over these options trying to find a way out. But you know, the spirit of truth resides in me and the spirit of truth in me says, I am the way, the truth and the life and I will show you the way if you come to me, come and know me. Because you can know me. Jeremiah said it a long, 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 long time ago. That was nice, wasn't it? A long time ago. So that you could come back and hold on to that promise. So he says, come and talk to me. I've told you how I felt. Now let me tell you what I think. He says in his word, he says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. See, my own understanding is limited to fight and flight options. My own understanding is limited to what my flesh is going to tell me in my own strength. But you know, that's exactly how to treat God with contempt. That's exactly how to turn our heart away from God, is to try and figure out on ourselves. Whereas trusting God, this is getting his understanding This is leaning on his feelings, his word, which is much mightier by far. You see, it's all about listening to God's thoughts and feelings a whole lot more than listening to our own thoughts and feelings. I had a young man come to see me at work this week, about 20, very intelligent young man, very well-spoken, well-mannered, came in and sat down and just poured his heart out. This is the essence of his problem. He's very, very good at thinking. He's very, very good at articulating and expressing his feelings too. So he knows a lot about thinking, he knows a lot about feeling. And his whole life he's leaned very heavily on that. He's doing very, very well at university. He just has this problem about his life and figuring out the right thing to do with his life. He said, I think about it, I go rationally through all these ideas and I come up short. I go to my feelings, I consult my feelings and I try and figure it out and and I can't really find it there either. So I've studied psychology and I've looked at philosophy and he told me a whole lot about psychology that most psychologists don't know about psychology. He's a very, very switched on young man. Get the picture? But he's lost. There's just this one problem he has. So he's recognised maybe it's beyond the scientific method and he needs to look into the spiritual. 
so. He loves Buddhism. He thinks that's just the best. He thinks maybe what he needs for his life is enlightenment. But somehow he's got a bit of doubt about that. That's what he's doing sitting there in front of me. So I said, so your thinking doesn't get you there. Nope. Your feelings don't get you there. Nope. And Buddhism, well, it's a possibility, but he's not convinced. So I said to him, this is something else, isn't it? He said, yep. I said, okay, so when you finish this, so we have an hour and a half. When we finish this hour and a half, what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to go downstairs, go out the front. I want you to find a small, small child, possibly a little girl, maybe about not older than 10. What I want you to do is find an axe, chop her up into little pieces, put her in a bag, take her home, put her in your freezer. He looked at me in horror. I said, I'm just wondering what your response is to that. He's like this. He's looking at me. I thought he was going to run out the door. And he said, that is disgusting. That is bad. That is wrong. That is terrible. I said, oh, did you think that? Did you feel that? Uh Uh-uh. It's something else. He looked at me dumbfounded. I said, it wasn't a thought, was it? He said, no. I said, it wasn't a feeling. You, you didn't feel it and the feeling came and went and was gushy and not... Gu- no. I said, that was something else, wasn't it? You knew instantly it was wrong, which means you can also know right. Well, that kind of perplexed him a little bit. So I reckon for 30 seconds God did something in his life and then he was back into smart mode. But You know what's so beautiful about that ex- little, tiny, little 30-second experience? that that young man has something he can store away in his heart now. And while, you know, I can't give you a great story about how I led him to the Lord and everything's great, he has something. He can't explain it. Just like us, but we can explain it. He has a conscience to tell him what's right and what's wrong. What he doesn't have is a new heart to empower him to do the right because he is still a slave to sin. As lovely as he is and as well-mannered as he is and how likable he is, he's still a sinner and he's still a slave to sin. So he needs two things. He needs Jesus, Jesus, Jesus and he needs Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. What he needs is he needs a new heart and he needs to know Jesus so that he can do the right thing with his life And overcome sin every time it comes knocking at his door. Because he's the same. He has problems. He has options. But he doesn't have the bold option that we have of following Jesus and taking the bold choice. So, God says, keep coming to me. Don't lean on your own understanding, Liz. Come come with me and I'll show you the way. So he says, the wicked flee when no one pursues but the righteous are bold as a lion. Oh, no. That means I can't run away from this sermon. This means I can't ring up sick because the wicked do that. And do you know this is so true? I'm running away from whom? No one's pursuing me. The flight options are off the agenda. It's totally final. He told me how he felt about those flight options. Now he's telling me what he thinks about those flight options. But the righteous are bold as a lion. That's what I want. I want to be bold. So 
So the question is, am I righteous? Are you righteous? Are you bold? You know, it's so important to understand so much beauty at the cross. And one of the magnificent things that happens at the cross is Jesus says, you got a problem, a sin problem. Give all your filthy, disgusting, rotten sin and give it to me and I'll take the punishment for you. And in exchange, you can have my perfect righteousness. So each one of you who has Jesus as his Lord and Saviour can say, oh, I can stand there in Jesus' righteousness, which means I'm as bold as a lion too. So you have it. Don't fall for the trap and lean on your own understanding about whether you think you're bold or whether you feel you're bold. You are bold. And not just like a small animal, but a lion. He's giving us a picture of what you have in this new heart on the inside, outside of what you think, outside of what you feel. Don't judge your boldness on what you think or feel. That's leaning on your own understanding. You are bold today. So, my flight options are definitely dead. But I've still got those fight options. Maybe I can do them. Here's what Jesus says to me about the fight options. He says, fight the good fight, keeping faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. So initially it looks good, but there's a caveat here. I can fight, but it needs to be the good fight. So what we need to do is, if we want to fight the good fight, then we've got to do two things. We've got to hold on to faith and we've got to hold on to a good conscience. And notice he goes on to say, which some have rejected. He's talking about some have rejected that, you know, that yucky feeling that you get? They just rejected, oh, it's nothing. doesn't matter. Go away. I just want to do what I want to do. The problem if we reject our good conscience is we'll suffer shipwreck in relation to our faith. So if we start ignoring our conscience, thinking, I can hold on to my faith and ignore my conscience, we'll be very sorry because they're connected. We lose this one, we lose that one too. So I can stand here and say, yes, I'm righteous and I'm as bold as a lion. I really believe that. But I have to deal with putting that into practice, which is where his conscience, his spirit comes in. So I can proclaim that, but I have to do it. Which means there's really no way out of this sermon. I can't flight from it. I can't fight from it. He says, do it. But I'm not alone. If I was alone, I couldn't do it. If I fall for the trap of thinking I'm here on my own, I can't do it. He's right there watching every word. But you know what? Fear of God... The thunder is an important reminder that those who are bold do fear God and nobody else. That's part of this whole bold experience. You know, he says to us, he says in his word, he says, I said to you myself, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So I can boldly declare, you are my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Really? 
So the boldness comes with a declaration, a faith, a conscience that says, if I start getting fearful of what you think about me or what others think about me, then I've just fallen for a trap because the only thing that I fear with my new heart now is him. So when the devil comes knocking at my door, saying, oh, what are they going to think? Oh, they're going to be nasty to you. They're going to falsely accuse you. They're going to say all sorts of nasty things about you. Do you know what? I can say, that's not for me because I'm bold as a lion. I have a new heart and I only fear one and it's not you. It's the same for us. So the flight options are gone. The fight options are, are gone. So the sermon goes on. So the fear options and the bold options, they appear every single time you and I have a problem. No matter what your problem, these will appear. So the fear says to our flesh, let's see if we can find a way to run away so you can feel more comfortable so you don't have to do this icky thing you don't want to do. Or let's see if we can find a way to fight it and take control of the situation so you still don't have to do what it is that God's asking us to do. But there's another option here because a bold heart says... Maintain faith and a good conscience. And that's how you and I can be bold with every single problem that we face. So when is it? When is it that we face problems? Well, every single day. There's one man in the Bible who really faced a lot of problems. And I often go to read the book of Job because I think this man knows something about suffering and dealing with problems. Go across all categories and I don't know if you'll miss too many in Job's life. He had problems with friends. He had problems with family. He had problems with finances. He had problems with home. He had problems with health. They're the big five. Do any of those sound familiar in your life and what you're facing right now? This boldness is not just something we need when there's a Goliath standing in front of us. This boldness is what we need every single time we come to a problem and try and choose what's the best solution to this problem. So let's look at what Job has to say because he has some experience in dealing with lots and lots of problems. Job says, I will maintain my righteousness and the righteous live by so he's saying I will maintain my faith and never let go of it my conscience will not reproach me as long as I live so what's happening here is he's saying to us the two things that Paul said to Timothy to take the bold option it's not a personality trait it's not something you feel or think. He took the bold option every time he had a problem in front of him by maintaining his righteousness and a good conscience. So that word reproach, my conscience will not reproach me. Reproach is this idea of my conscience will not disapprove of me. My conscience is not going to make me feel guilty. My conscience is not going to feel disappointed. Jesus is not going to be disappointed with me. So when he stirs me up, I'm going to fix it. It's this idea of maintaining faith and a good conscience. So this idea of reproaching our conscience. I've had some experience with this very recently. So my daughter, 
my gorgeous daughter, Claudia. She's a sporty little thing. She's a fit little thing. And I've kind of come to the conclusion after having two operations in hospital this year, I never want to see inside another hospital for as long as I live. Shireen, I realise you're sitting there and you go to hospital 10,000 times. I am certainly, certainly of the opinion that it takes a lot of boldness to spend any time in a hospital. So, I go to hospital a couple of times this year and go, I don't want to be back here again. So, we're eating healthy, aren't we? No more chocolate. Well, there is, isn't there? But, you know, I'm trying. So, we're eating healthier and we're looking at doing more exercise. And I've been trying to up the ante because I think those are the two pillars. So, decided that maybe I could get Claudia to teach me how to run. That's a good idea. So, I've been doing Pilates for a number of years now, and Pilates is all about getting your muscles in the right condition so that you could do something like this. So, I was very aware that before I go for a run, it's really important to warm up. So, I've been doing a half an hour of warm-up exercises. I know, this is just how paranoid I am. Half an hour of Pilates on a mat on a floor so I don't injure myself because I don't want to embarrass myself and I don't want to feel like I'm 49. So off we go for a run on Saturday of last week. I reckon, so this is the maybe fourth run we've been on, something like that, and we take turns at who leads. So one time Claudia leads and she goes up and down hills like you would not believe. If I lead, it's flat. I find every flat street I can find. So we start off. I'm leading. So it's like, good, I'm in control. Flesh likes that. So I'm leading. I'm finding flat surfaces. I've got it in my head how to avoid every hill I know of near us. Because after a few minutes, and there's a rule, when I lead, don't talk to me. I am struggling to breathe. Please don't talk to me. Expect me to... I don't know how you do that, Claudia, but I can't do it yet. So I find flat and don't talk to me. So we're all good, the ground rules, I'm leading, flat, don't talk to me. So I take about three steps. And my conscience says to me, stop, don't run. And then I start to feel my ankles feeling really sore. The fight option comes into my mind, I can do this. So... My conscience is reproaching me even more now. I'm ignoring it. I'm running. I want to be in control. I want to do this run. I've done half an hour of Pilates. I'm not going home. So I run and I can feel my ankles, they're sore. And I think, I'll justify it. This will be good for my ankles. If I keep running, they'll get better. I get to 10 minutes... I'm in this condition, I can't hardly breathe. Claudia's just looking at me like, Mum, this is embarrassing, this is in public. I said, I have to stop. I have to stop because I can't breathe and they're really sore now. So I think, I'll just walk. My conscience is settled about walking, but my conscience certainly wasn't happy about running. And you know, since last Saturday, I've been limping and having problems and going to the physio and getting massages and putting ice on my ankles every night. I have to put my feet up. I get accused of walking next to Mark. He says, you look like a puppet walking like that. I mean, it's, it's painful. This is a thorn in my side. But you know what a great reminder it is for me? God says, you have to do a sermon on boldness. Don't you dare stand up there and talk about not having your conscience reproach you unless you understand. And let me remind you for a week before you stand up there, 
that it's not a good idea. It's not a bold option. You just let fear overtake you and that's not why I gave you a new heart. I gave you a new heart so you would know me, so you would know my thoughts and my feelings about every decision you make and I'm here to help you. He says, I'm your helper. So I learn a lesson, which I don't want to learn again. So let's look at two problem situations that the Israelites faced and the options that they took. Number one, entering the promised land. Number two, facing Goliath. The promised land, okay. So they've been walking around for about two years. They get right up to the edge of the promised land, send in the spies to go and have a look. Spies come back, there's 12 of them, one from each tribe. Oh, they bring back the most beautiful grapes and figs and pomegranates. Oh, the fruit is great. But there's some bad news to go with this gorgeous-looking fruit. They say they have huge cities with big fortified walls and there are giants in the land. And then they say, in our own estimation, we are grasshoppers. So they fall into the same trap. They lean on their own understanding, in their own estimation about whether or not they should go because they're doing an estimation of whether or not they feel strong enough to go when they look at the giants. So in their own estimation, they've just fallen into the trap of leaning in their own understanding. And then, after all this negativity spews out, the Bible says the whole community loses heart. That's a big red flag. You know that feeling when you lose heart? It's this idea that you lose confidence. You lose this feeling of safety. You don't feel so secure anymore. Do you know what boldness is? The boldness that Jesus gives us, boldness is a lion, as, as tough as a lion, as strong as a lion. That boldness, that word boldness in the Bible means confidence, security. It's boldness. When we lose heart, we lose boldness. So in our own lives, you know when you're facing a problem and it's difficult, if you start feeling like you lose heart, stop. It's a big problem, a really big problem. Because you know when we lose heart and we start, what we do is we say, I can't trust what's going on inside of me, so I'm going to start trusting my flesh and I'm going to lean on my own understanding. It's the beginning of a downhill slippery slope. So what we've got to do is we've got to armour up. So Ephesians 6 says, two pieces of armour to cover our heart. Breastplate of righteousness and a shield of faith. So there's two layers to protect our heart. There's a reason why there's two layers. It's important. What's going on in our heart is the source of our strength. So the Israelites don't like this news. They start wailing really loudly. Oh my gosh, this has been terrible. And the problem is, the reason they're wailing so loudly is not just because of the bad report, but because for the last two years, they've been grumbling and wailing. Because for the last two years, they've been leaning on their own understanding. For the last two years, their faith muscles in their heart are flabby. You can't expect your faith muscles in your heart to all of a sudden be strong when we hit a major problem in our life if we haven't used the faith muscles in the minor problems in our life. That's why they're wailing. So it's predictable what they're going to do. 
But listen to Psalm 119, verse 70. God says, their heart is as fat as grease. Have you read that verse before? That's the first time I've read it. Just the other week, I went, oh, that's it. It's like our heart gets flabby and greasy and it's a slippery slope. It's like nothing touches our heart because we're not engaging with him in our heart. So the Israelites predictably find a flight option. An option presents itself, run back to Egypt, let's find another leader. That's what they decide they're going to do. And God says, how long will these people treat me with contempt? You see, they're ignoring what God says and leaning on their own understanding. So for the next 40 years, God says, that's it. I'm going to kill off everyone who's 21 years of age or older and you're going to wander around the wilderness for 40 years. Oh, now the Israelites really don't like it. So they decide, right, the flight option is now no longer available. Maybe there's a fight option. So you know what they do next? They say, we'll take control of this situation as if we need God anyway. We'll go into the promised land because we're good and ready to go now. So they'll do it in their own strength. And you know what happens. They try to go into the promised land without turning to God, without his approval. And of course it's a failure. Of course they're rushed out of there. They're chased out of there. It's a disaster. So it doesn't work. There were two, only two, Caleb and Joshua, who didn't go for the fight or flight options. This is what they said. They said, The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land. That's faith speaking. A land flowing with milk and honey and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. So note, Caleb excuse me, and Joshua are maintaining faith in the promises that God has already given them. This is his promised land after all. They're maintaining that faith. And they're holding on to a good heart, a good conscience. They're doing the right thing by God. So there's a bold option available in every situation, including this one. So fear again says fight or flight, run away and go back to Egypt or we'll take the promised land and take control ourselves. They'll fail. There's always a bold option where we can maintain faith and a good conscience. So this week, Mark and I went to visit Marie and this beautiful lady is standing, or sitting here right in front of us. Shireen, it is so good to see you here. Things are so different from when we visited you in hospital on Tuesday. So we went to visit Marie. She's on floor two, I think. And do you know I understand what you're saying, Carlos? You sit with Marie and you think that this is lovely. We, you know, it would be nice to give her a visit. That might cheer her up. And man, oh man, she's the one that she's sort of feeding into you. I get that. I felt that when I'm sitting with her. But what's so beautiful about Marie and something that stood out for me is she said, I feel closer to God now. 
And I think to myself, how can we come closer to God? And you want a problem list? She's got a problem list, including this week a collapsed lung to add to all the other problems that she had from last week. So she's not short of a problem. So it's not like life is great for her and that's why she feels closer to God. No, she's been spending more time interacting with God. And this is the scripture that I think explains Marie to a T. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So she's maintaining faith. She's saying, I believe you're there, God. Whether it's midnight and there's all these people running around the hospital and I can't sleep, whether they're wheeling me into a hospital room, whether I'm having more chemotherapy, she's holding on to him. She's maintaining her faith. It was a beautiful picture of maintaining faith. And it was the same with Shireen. Shireen's got a list of problems this long. She's not running away from her problems. She's not fighting these problems. She's doing the bold response. She's holding on to Jesus with both hands. And she never lets go. That's the bold choice. So we finished seeing Marie and then we went upstairs to go and see Shireen. So we went to the nurse's station and we asked, where is her room? They said it's room 49. She's against the window. So we went in. We said hello to the lady that was just at the front. The windows are at the back of the room. We looked on the right. No one on the right, no bed there. And on the left was a bed with a curtain pulled all the way around it. And do you know when you see that, you sort of feel that sick feeling in your stomach? Do you, do you get that? Not nice. I was thinking, oh, things probably aren't good for Shireen. So we went up to the curtain and Mark says, well, you have a little look in. So I had a little look in and there's this little body on the bed, all curled up, you know, in the fetal position underneath the sheet. I said, oh, she's asleep. I think we should leave her. No, no, says Mark, must pray for her. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so in we go. I'm sort of like, oh, don't wake her. She's probably in pain. Mark grabs her hands. We're going to pray. Anyway, she sort of half wakes up and then... Mark says, you know, it's Pastor Mark, it's here, and then Liz is here, and so here I have one hand, and Mark has one hand, and off he goes. He's praying for Shireen. God, look after Shireen. God, heal Shireen. Off he goes. Yes, yes, yes. Amen. Okay, she's sort of still dozing. We leave. We go downstairs. There's a Starbucks. The PA hospital is amazing. Have you guys been there recently? It's even got a Starbucks. Very impressed. So we thought, got to have a coffee. It's got Starbucks. So in we go, we sit down, have a cup of coffee. And this starts for me. My conscience is just, it's vague. It's really very vague. I'd love to tell you it was very clear and precise and I've got a word from God, but it's not. It's vague as. It's just woozy. Something not quite right. You know that? feeling god's giving me this feeling but i don't really can't really decipher it's like another language so it's just sort of easily put to the side you know so we're chatting over coffee and it's just there and i said to mark why don't would you mind if we go back to see shireen because i just feel a bit uncomfortable about it i I just i don't know you mind he said sure I'm thinking to myself, this is a dumb idea because on Tuesday my ankle's really hurting. So that's when he made the comment, you look like a puppet, which I didn't really appreciate, but that's okay. So I'm following Mark, I'm just concentrating on my feet. And before you know it, we're lost. So it's even more walking. 
finally came back to her room. Oh, thank goodness. So saw the lady on the... She's smiling at us. We're waving at her. Oh, the curtain is still closed around her bed. That's not good. And then on the bed on the right is Shireen. She, you're happy as Larry. She's waving. <laughs> so Mark goes over to the curtain, opens the curtain. There's a lady in there under the sheet, all curled up. So we go over to Shireen. We give her a big hug. We're laughing. Don't forget the lady over here has watched the whole thing. (laughs) So we sit with Shireen and we're talking and what's happening and blah, 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 and we go through all of that. And then we say, you're not going to believe it. We came in before and we went and prayed. We thought that was really a bit embarrassing. Shireen goes, great. She needed prayer. You have no idea what this lady went through. This is my friend Mary because, you know, Shireen would talk to everybody. This is my friend Mary over here, and blah, 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 and she really needs prayer. Isn't God good? Shireen tells me today that that lady, that night, they thought they were going to lose her. They thought her kidneys were going to fail, and they thought she was gone. There was doctors racing around everywhere. You know, God didn't stop us from praying for her. This thing really started going for me downstairs. So it was great because we could see you, Shireen, which was fantastic, so we could sit and pray for you. But isn't God good? Isn't God faithful? Now the lady here on the right. So we walk back. She can hear us laughing with Shireen and we're sort of just going, I just can't believe we did this. She's smiling and then we just say, and Mark says to her, you saw us, didn't you? And she goes, "Mm mm-hmm. You know what she says next? She says, but it was beautiful that you prayed for her. I don't know what, what really is going on in that lady's life. And Mark said to her as we walked out, would you like us to pray for you? We pray for anyone. She said, no, 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 that's fine. It was like the walls came up. But, you know, I think about that and I think, oh, wow. God's got it all sorted. God has a plan. But we can't know it if we don't know him, if we don't know his feelings, if we don't know his thoughts. And he is faithful to stir us up. He will let you know, even if it's vague, even if you don't quite know why. We can always go to his word and ask him for further clarification. We can say, Holy Spirit, I know that you're disturbed about something. I can feel it. I know it. I have that knowing from you. Show me in your word. Can you give me some more clarity in this situation? He is always willing to talk to us. Okay, I'm on to 42 minutes here and Goliath I haven't even started on. I have a dilemma. I could run out the back. <laughs> All right, I'm, I'm okay. I, I don't know what to do, seriously, because you think... All right, we'll speed it up a bit. All right, so the Israelites don't have a good reputation so far. They did the fight or flight thing. Now they've got to face 
another problem. And this time the problem is Goliath. So Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from the lines and shouted his usual defiance. And David heard it. So what he's doing, Goliath, is he's giving this general taunt. Ha ha, you can't get me. Come and get me. We're going to kill you, you Israelites, you slackos, you weakos. What's important to understand from this story is that Goliath is still taunting us. He starts with a general taunt. Ah, yeah, Christians, you don't think. Thinking Christian, oxymoron. Those two things don't go together. Homophobics. There's a general taunt and we're getting it every day. Do not think Goliath has finished because there's a spirit behind Goliath that still exists today who's very active. So Goliath is going for it. He has general taunts and he has specific taunts. For each of us. So, the Israelites' response, guess what? The Bible says they all fled from him in great fear. There's the flight response right there. Then there's two fight responses. One is David's suggestion. He says we need to fight the good fight of faith, in other words. Saul's suggestion is to fight as well. But Saul's suggestion is to fight not with spiritual armour, but with exactly the same armour as what you see Goliath in. So he takes his armour, he puts it onto David, puts his helmet on, puts his tunic on, puts all the armour on. David starts walking around and he just goes, I just cannot get used to this. I, I, can't, I can't fight in this. It's too heavy for me. So he takes it off, grabs his sling and his five stones and he takes the armour that he has used again and again and again fighting the bear and fighting the lion because he was a shepherd looking after his sheep. So he's going back and doing what he normally does. He uses the armour that he knows. He doesn't all of a sudden develop faith muscles. He's already developed faith with all the day-to-day problems he's faced as a shepherd. He says, I'm going to fight, but I'm not fighting the bad fight with worldly armour. I'm fighting the good fight with the armour that God has actually provided me. Then he moves from a general taunt to a specific taunt for David. He says, he looked, at Dave over, he looked at David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give you flesh to the birds and the wild animals. Now he's personalising it. So David's age, the Bible doesn't give his exact age he says he was but a youth we know he was less than 20 because his brothers were out fighting in war so he wasn't old enough to fight in the war he's probably around 16 or 17 is probably the best estimate there's a lot of people here around those age too or about to become that age you see young people there are many goliaths giving you a general taunt and a specific taunt They're trying to insult you, ridicule you. This is going on still today. Understand that you have a problem and you will have options to fight or flight, but you always have the bold option if Jesus is in your heart. So I want you to stand up if you're age less than 25.
God wants to talk specifically to you guys just for the next probably three minutes. So be careful what you do with this information. You can ignore it or you can listen to it and apply it to your life. So I want to talk about two specific taunts that the world through Goliaths, different Goliaths, throw directly at you to make a personal insult. And the first one is body image. Goliath loves to attack young people in terms of what you look like. Eh, you're so fat, you're so tall, you're so short, you're too big, you're too small. This goes on and on and on and on. And Goliath loves to talk to you through the internet. He loves to taunt you, attack you, insult you through movies, through advertising. Any way he can get you, it's there. Goliath taunts about body image are causing this. In a sample of almost 48,000 Australians aged 11 to 24 years, almost one-third reported body image as their top concern. Over half of girls in Australian high schools have tried to lose weight and don't think it's just a girl thing. In one study of adolescent boys, about one-third wanted to be thinner and one-third wanted to be larger. Goliath is having a field day here. Goliath is having some success. But that's not the only taunt he loves to attack you with. Here's the second one. He says, if I can't get you with that, I'll get you with peer pressure to drink. Because do you know what? Drinking alcohol is the only way you have a sense of belonging, he says. You're an outcast and really very kind of dweeby and really newbie if you don't. Goliath taunts about drinking alcohol and look at the outcomes. On average, one in four hospitalisations of 15 to 25-year-olds happen because of alcohol. One in two Australians aged 15 to 17 who get drunk will do something they regret. 70 Australians under 25 will be hospitalised due to alcohol-caused assault in an average week. And finally, four Australians under 25 die due to alcohol-related injuries in an average week. Goliath is still taunting you. But you know what? There's a very important truth you need to remember, no matter what the taunt. So you can sit down. Thank you. Here's the very important truth I want you to remember, take hold of and lean on every single time you feel that pressure. You see Goliath and all his mates who have a go at insulting you can only draw strength from their flesh. This is what the Lord says to you today, young people. Cursed is the one who trusts in man. They're cursed who draws strength from mere flesh and whose heart turns away from the Lord. But David, a 17-year-old young man, he's no different to you guys. He has a different source of strength and you have access to this same source of strength. David said, In the day when I cried out, you answered me, God, and made me bold with strength, in my soul. You have a strength inside of you that is much stronger than any Goliath that taunts you. Don't let Goliath insult you, run you down, 
and cause that sense that you're going to lose heart. You can overcome every Goliath just the way David did. Put your armour on. Pick up your sling. Pick up your stones. Fight the good fight. You can do this, guys. Don't let them pull you down. I don't... And nobody here wants you to be one of those statistics. But more than that, it's not just avoiding the statistics. It's the fact that you've been given a new heart and a new plan and a new life. You can go for it with confidence. And you can do the bold option if you maintain faith and a good conscience. It's the same for every single one of us. But young people, you're on my heart in this sermon. Because I think Goliath is having an absolute field day and he's targeting you. Because you are the future. I've got to stop. At the end of the day, we know David won. We know his boldness is stronger than any fleshly boldness, even if the fleshly boldness from the world looks huge like a Goliath. God can cause that stone to hit him straight in the eyes and take him out. Sophia says, come with the flight option, come with the fight option. Bold heart says, maintain faith and good conscience. You can overcome every problem. So, you know, today I really want you to take the problem that you've been dealing with this week. I just want you to stop and just be quiet before Jesus. I want you to recall that problem. Is it family? Is it finances? Is it friends? Is it home? Is it health? And I'm going to ask God to help you to recognise the fleshly options, the temptations that will come for you to flight, to run away from the problem somehow, or to fight it using worldly armour in your own strength. They're both only going to ever fail. And then we're going to pray and ask Jesus to help us maintain our faith and a good conscience because the bold option, the bold way is there for you because you have a new heart and you're as bold as a lion, whether you feel like it or not. So let's close our eyes. Let's be very still before Jesus and let's take our problems to him. Lord Jesus, you know each person in this room personally. You know these problems, Lord. You allowed these problems, Lord. It's an opportunity for us to come and get to know you even more, Lord. It's such a beautiful promise under the new covenant that you gave us a new heart so that all would know you from the least to the greatest. And we are so thankful, Lord Jesus, that we could know you. Oh, what a privilege and an honour. And Lord, we need you. We need to know you. We need to know your thoughts and your feelings because they're so much higher than our thoughts and our feelings. Lord, we don't want to lean on our own understanding anymore. Lord, help us to identify those fight and flight options and help us to discard them and to say no to ungodliness. Lord Jesus, through the power of your spirit, I pray that you quicken everybody's spirit in this room. Help them to overcome every option that wants them to fight or flight, Lord. Help each one of us, Lord, to maintain our faith in you, in your word. 
Lord Jesus, help us to listen to your still, quiet voice. Even if we don't understand, even if it's vague, Lord, help us to respond to our conscience. Lord, help us to maintain a good conscience. Empower us today, Lord. Show us the bold option, Lord. Help us to remember, Lord, we can do the bold option because you empower us to overcome every enemy, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that greater is he that lives in us than he that taunts us in the world, Lord. Lord, we just say thank you today. Help us to remember to come to you, to cry out to you and to strengthen our soul with boldness. We pray in your beautiful and precious name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.